Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good afternoon. My name is Chantel, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Viva's fiscal 2020 first quarter results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Thank you. Rick Lunn, Head of Investor Relations, you may begin your conference. Good afternoon, and welcome to Viva's fiscal 2020 first quarter earnings call for the quarter ended April 30th, 2019. With me on today's call are Peter Gassner, our Chief Executive Officer, Matt Wallach, our President, Paul Shawa, SVP of Commercial Cloud, and Tim Cabral, our Chief Financial Officer. During the course of this conference call, we will make forward looking statements regarding trends, our strategies, and the anticipated performance of the business. These forward looking statements will be based on management's current views and expectations and are subject to various risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially. Please refer to the risks listed in our earnings release and the risk factors included in our most recent filing on Form 10K. Which is available on the company's website at www.viva.com under the investors section and on the SEC's website at www.sec.gov. Forward looking statements made during the call are being made as of today, May 29, 2019. If this call is replayed or viewed after today, the information presented during the call may not contain current or accurate information. Viva disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward looking statements. We will provide guidance on today's call, but will not provide any further guidance or updates on our performance during the quarter unless we do so in a public forum. On the call, we will also discuss certain non GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release, which is available on our website 
and as an exhibit to the Form 8K filed with the SEC just before this call. With that, thank you for joining us, and I will turn it over to Peter. Thank you, Rick, and thanks to everyone for joining us today. I'm pleased to report another great quarter with results ahead of our guidance. Total revenue for the quarter was $245 million, up 25% year-over-year. Subscription revenue grew 27% year-over-year, and our non-GAAP operating margin was 38%. It was an outstanding start to the year. Congratulations to the Viva team, and thank you to our customers for your continued partnership. I'll share some Q1 highlights, starting on the commercial side of the business, where we had another excellent quarter. We continue to extend our market leadership in core CRM. We added many new Viva CRM customers on the SMB side in both the U.S. and Europe. Many of these customers also purchased Viva Open Data at the same time. We also made good progress with global CRM rollouts in existing enterprise customers. CRM add-ons also saw further adoption. Events management, align, and engage continue to do well. For example, a top 20 pharma added more than 700 engage users in Europe after their success with the initial pilots last year. We hosted our commercial summit a few weeks ago in Philadelphia. With more than 1,600 attendees, it was our biggest event to date and is the largest of its kind in the industry. The feeling and sense of community was great. It's one of the highlights of our year. We and our customers always get a lot of ideas and energy from Summit. The major Summit themes were customer success and the emerging use of AI in multiple areas of our commercial cloud. In CRM, for instance, we announced Viva CRM approved notes, which will use AI to reduce the compliance risk of taking pretext notes, providing fields reps a better way to manage relationships with doctors. Approved notes will be part of our core CRM subscription and is planned for release early next year. Customers are excited about approved notes and our continued investment and innovation in CRM overall. In commercial, there is a strong desire to do more with AI and advanced analytics. At last year's summit, we announced we would build our first AI application, Viva Andy. Viva Andy is an artificial intelligence application designed to provide customer insights and next best action recommendations right in Viva CRM. I'm happy to announce that Andy is now available. We had a lot of great discussions about Andy at Summit and are developing a pipeline of early adopter candidates. Overall, it was another great commercial summit. Turning to Viva Vault, in Q1 we added almost 50 new Vault customers, which was a quarterly record. We saw strength across each Vault application area, including early success with new products and continued momentum with more established products. We won our first top 20 enterprise deal for CDMS. This is a big milestone for the product and for Viva. The customer was looking for a cloud EDC solution on a proven platform. The existing enterprise EDC offerings are older systems and are not true cloud applications. The customer also liked some of the innovative ways our system handles data entry, data review, and protocol amendments as well as our vision for comprehensive data cleaning and reporting with Data Workbench. The customer had trust in Viva because our teams have delivered success for them in multiple areas over the past eight years, both in R&D and commercial. They completed some pilot studies with CDMS in the last nine months, and that went well. So last quarter, they decided to move forward 
with a multi-year enterprise deal for CDMS. This was a great win for Viva. One of our top company priorities is to ensure the success of this project and to use it to drive innovation in CDMS. We also signed a multi-product deal with a top 20 pharma in Europe for Vault in the clinical and regulatory areas. This customer just went live with Vault Quality Docs for over 50,000 users around the world. After working with our product and services teams on the Quality Docs implementation, they decided to go forward with ETMF submissions and submissions archive. This is a great example of customer success leading the way to future business. We have also signed our first four early adopters for Vault Safety, our newest product line in development cloud. It's still early days for safety, and these were small deals with small companies, but I'm pleased with our overall progress. Product is maturing every day, and we have a growing pipeline of early adopter candidates. Safety is a mission-critical application for life sciences. It's complex and will have many integration points with our other Vault applications, so having a modern solution on a single platform is a great thing for the industry. Turning to our business outside of life sciences, where we are concentrating on consumer goods, chemicals, and cosmetics. We recently announced a new application, Vault Claims. Claims will help manage the product claims lifecycle, from creation to approval to marketing usage. When speaking with early Quality One customers, we saw a real need for a claims management application. We have already started a claims project at a new top 20 CPG customer and have early discussions underway with others. Progress with Quality One continues as well, both expansions in existing customers and bringing on new customers. For example, this quarter we closed an initial Quality One deal with another major cosmetics company. While still early, we're finding that companies are responding to our product offerings in consumer goods, chemicals, and cosmetics. In closing, we had another great quarter. We executed well across all areas, focused on customer success and product excellence, and had exceptional traction in new markets. With that, I'll turn it over to Tim to review our financial results in more detail. Thanks, Peter. Q1 was another quarter of consistent execution across the company. Total revenue was nearly $245 million, up from over $195 million one year ago, a 25% increase. Vault represented nearly 50% of total revenue, up from 44% in Q1 of last year. Subscription revenue grew 27% to $198 million from $156 million last year. Outperformance in this metric was driven by a very strong bookings quarter, favorable linearity of those bookings, and a tailwind of a couple million dollars more from 606 as compared to Q1 of last year. Services revenue was almost $47 million, up 18% from roughly $40 million one year ago. Strength in services revenue continues to come primarily from R&D vault projects. I expect Q2 services revenue to be roughly flat with Q1. Our non-GAAP operating income came in over $93 million, a 38% operating margin, which was above the high end of our guide. This was driven primarily by outperformance on the top line. Across the company, we added 92 people net in the quarter, finishing at 2,645, up from 2,243 one year ago. 
Turning to the balance sheet, deferred revenue is $364 million compared to $356 million at the end of Q4. Calculated billings for the first quarter came in at $247 million, which was ahead of our guidance of $235 million. This result was primarily driven by strong bookings and outperformance in services revenue. The year-over-year growth rate of calculated billings was 16% in the first quarter. When considering that growth rate, please remember that calculated billings in Q1 of last year included an $18 million renewal of a large customer that subsequently shifted its renewal date to Q4. Adjusting for this, year-over-year calculated billings growth for the quarter would have been 26%. Please remember that there are numerous factors that make year-over-year comparisons of this metric highly variable on a quarterly basis. Therefore, we do not believe it is a good indicator of the underlying momentum of our business, and we do not manage to it internally. Our subscription revenue guidance and calculated billings guidance for the full fiscal year are the best indicators of our momentum. Looking ahead, we expect calculated billings of roughly $220 million in Q2 and a range of $1 billion, $115 million to $1 billion, $120 million for the full year which is an increase from the $1 billion, $100 million guidance provided last quarter. We continue to expect about 41 to 42% of our billings for the year to come in Q4. Elsewhere on the balance sheet, we exited Q1 with over $1.3 billion in cash and short-term investments, up from almost $1.1 billion at the end of Q4. This increase was driven by our performance in cash from operations, which came in at $236 million, and included $14 million in excess tax benefit related to equity compensation. For the full year, we now expect cash from operations to be $330 to $335 million, excluding this excess tax benefit. This is an increase from our previous expectations for slightly more than $320 million, excluding the excess tax benefit. Let me wrap up by sharing the rest of our outlook for next quarter and for fiscal 2020. For the second quarter, we expect revenue between 259 and 260 million, non-GAAP operating income of 94 to 95 million, and non-GAAP net income per share of 48 to 49 cents, based on a fully diluted share count of approximately 158.5 million. For the year, we expect revenue in the range of 1 billion and 45 million to 1 billion and 50 million, representing a 20 million dollar increase from our previous guidance. We expect subscription revenue to grow roughly 24%, and within that, we expect commercial cloud subscription revenue growth of at least 11%, and vault subscription revenue growth of roughly 40%. For fiscal 20, we anticipate non-GAAP operating income of 385 to 390 million, a margin of about 37%. This is an increase in both dollars and margin from our previous guidance of 365 to 370 million and a margin of almost 36%. As you consider this margin guidance, note that we have an aggressive hiring plan for the rest of the year and we are expecting increasing litigation fees as we move into the next phase of our cases. We are now targeting non-GAAP netting per share of between $2.01 and $2.03 based on a fully diluted share count of approximately 159 million. To conclude, it was a great start to the year. Our product teams continue to lead the industry forward with innovation, and our field teams continue to deliver customer success. 
Given this consistent execution, we remain confident in our ability to deliver at least 20% subscription revenue growth through calendar 2020. As always, thank you for joining the call, and I will now turn it back to the operator for questions. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then number one on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Tom Roderick with Stiefel. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. So uh, I wanted to ask the first question here just on the, the clinical side. It was, uh, you know, looks like a tremendous vault quarter again, and pretty exciting to see CDMS get, get uh, land your first top 20 enterprise deal. I was hoping you could talk about that a little bit more. Um, two parts to that question. First, of course, being sort of the competitive dynamics. As you went in there, I gather you've probably been with this customer for a while. Can you talk about what they were looking to, to sort of uh, to fix or to change or, you know, what the competitive dynamics were that got you over the top um, on that product. And then sort of secondarily, as you think about the opportunity set or the wallet share within CDMS, how do those deals compare at a top 20 compared to, say, CTMS? Are those larger as you get into CDMS enterprise-wide? Thanks, Tom. This is Peter. Um, as far as the competitive landscape for the deal, uh, it was certainly competitive. This is a customer, long-standing customer of Viva's that, that had one of the large enterprise players for CDMS and had that for many years. Uh, so there was no formal RFP process, but there was certainly a selection process. And in terms of what they were looking for, you know, the CDMS is really, it's a, it's a very critical process for for pharmaceutical companies. They're trying to collect clinical data from these research sites. The faster and more accurate they can do it, uh, the better chance they have of completing their clinical trials and completing them quickly. So it's a really, really mission-critical application. And they just needed a true cloud system that had uh, better, better data collection and workflow, uh, just really a better system overall and, a, and a, a chance to be great. I think that's you know, what they were looking for is a chance to be great. So it was competitive, and, and we won. Um, in terms of the size of the deal, or, or you, you mentioned the wallet share, uh, this is CTMS is a, is a bigger, larger application than, uh, sorry, CDMS is a bigger and larger application than CDMS. So to give you an idea, this, this deal, you know, it's a multi-year deal. It'll roll out over time, and at the full rollout, it'll, it'll be an eight-figure per year deal. So it's a certainly a significant application area for us. It's our largest single vault application. Fantastic. That's, um, that's great. And maybe just a quick follow-on in thinking about that opportunity. I know that um, CTMS has, has worked really nicely in conjunction with ETMF, given that you have a lot of sort of similar decision makers. Uh, this, this seems to be a little bit of a separate category, and, and you've worked hard to integrate the workflows. But from a resource standpoint, do you need separate independent sales, team, sales reps and a different go-to-market strategy as you start to land these top 20s? Or does this go right in the existing bag of the of the same uh, clinical sales rep that's been selling there already on on the other products. Yeah, it's, I'd say it's a combination of both. This is a different area, the clinical data management area, which is different than the clinical operations area where you will have CTMS and ETMF. So it's certainly a different area of the pharmaceutical company. We need specialized product consultants and specialized salespeople. 
but they do work with the, the broader R&D sales team. So it's a combination, combination of specialization for certain people and then tying it together to the broader Viva R&D vision. Wonderful. Congratulations on those deals. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you, Peter. Thanks, Tom. Your next question comes from Ken Wong with Guggenheim Securities. Your line is open. Great. Th thanks for taking my question, guys. Um, I, I guess I wanted to focus also a bit on Vault. Uh, you guys raised the subscription outlook there to 40%. Just wondering what, you know, kind of what's changed in that dynamic? Is it you guys called out, you know, faster growth of new customers? Also, it sounds like the Vault pipeline is getting kind of more mature. CDMS, you guys signed an enterprise customer. Just trying to figure out you know, what are the puts and takes that got you to the higher number. Yeah, Ken, this is Tim. Um, I think you sort of answered the question a bit. It, it is a combination of all those things. Certainly, Q1 represented a very strong start to the year for Vault. We are seeing strength across the board, across the entire development cloud. Um, and the contributing products are the ones that, that we've seen contribute in the past, meaning ETMF had a great quarter um, CTMS had a very good quarter, Quality Docs had a good quarter, and we also had a good quarter in regulatory. So across the board strength and a really strong start to the year enabled us not only to raise the vault subscription revenue guidance to roughly 40%, but the overall subscription revenue guidance to roughly 24%. Got it. Thanks, Tim. And then maybe for, uh, for Peter or, or Matt, um, you know, the quality one opportunity that, you know, you guys have touched on that for a while now. It feels like there you guys are focusing a little more aggressively on, on being a kind of Viva 2.0 for a bunch of these, these verticals. Um, can you talk about, you know, whether or not you're going to have to accelerate some investments there? And, you know, now that you guys have broadened out the portfolio a little bit, uh, does it make more sense now to be aggressive in those markets, or is this still something further down the line? Uh, hey, Ken, it's Matt. Um, so we're already being aggressive in these markets. Uh, we've aggressively added people onto the product team, uh, and we've just announced that first product specifically for those three market segments, and we've continued to add salespeople uh, in the U.S. and Europe. So it feels like we're being aggressive already. Now, we also are reminding everyone we're still learning a lot, right? So this is not just another application that goes right in the bag of, uh, the life sciences rep and we just turn the crank. Not that those are easy, but there are more moving parts on these. And so because we're going after multiple types of companies and multiple market segments with multiple products and now a brand new product, there's still a lot for us to learn. But I would say we're already uh, being aggressive here uh, in, in making sure that early customers are super successful and that we use that and start the reference selling. Perfect. Thanks a lot, guys. Your next question comes from Bob in Surrey with William Blair. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for my question, and uh, congrats. I just wanted to touch a little bit um, on the, 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 the breakup of the Vault business and sort of how you guys think about growth there. So if you think about Vault, obviously growing really fast uh, over the past few years, um, and Vault customer count now almost doubles here, customer count. Can, can you just touch... Peter, Peter, Tim, maybe both of you, on how you're thinking about the growth formula with Vault going forward between new customers and new ads and how they expand versus the existing customers and the cross-sell or expansion within that existing base. Thank you. 
Uh, Bavon, this is Matt. I'll actually take that one. Um, so because we have so many of the large customers, you know, top 50 pharma companies already, the vast majority of incremental revenue is going to come from existing customers. Um, so that's just going to be the dynamic for Viva going forward. Uh, we have multiple, as, as you know, we had a target of 20 eight-figure customers, uh, hopefully by the end of 2020, and it looks like we're on track for that. Those are really significant relationships. And while when, a new when an existing customer buys one more vault, it's certainly good for Viva, but it's great for the customer because there's so many advantages that they get from having another enterprise product on the same platform. They get IT benefits, they get administrative benefits, and they get tremendous benefit, business benefits of having a, a single source of truth. So in terms of incremental revenue, it's always going to be a larger number from existing customers because we have so many. But the long tail of smaller customers is also important. Some of those customers are going to become big. Some of those customers, if they go with competitors, could help competitors get large. So those companies are important to us from every different angle. Um, but the large revenue story is going to come from existing customers, and I think we'll see that over time. Got it. Got it. And, then, and one on Andy and AI in general, and, and maybe, Matt, this is for you, um, maybe for Peter. When you think about AI, can that serve, or Andy specifically, a halo effect on the rest, rest of the CRM suite, like whether it's Nitro or Line? or CRM add-ons, and then, and then a quick follow-up to that is how you think about like, introducing a similar sort of AI engine on the vault side, right? So I've got X number of steps in a particular process, submissions, regulatory, and we can optimize that, we can automate that. I guess, are you seeing an appetite on that side for AI, or is that still early? So, so first, just sort of what's the halo effect of sort of getting Andy and AI working on the core CRM side, obviously with Nitro, and then B, I guess, is there an optionality or an interest on the vault side for that? Thank you. Hey, Bavon, this is Paul. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, so on, on hey, Paul, Andy, thanks. you know, uh, yeah, good to, uh, good to speak. So, uh, you know, this is something we announced a year ago uh, at, at our summit, and, and then, you know, at, at the time we didn't have a product and we didn't have a team focused on it. And, you know, at this summit this year we announced, we, we actually demoed the product and showed real-life product to customers and there was tremendous interest. Uh, we had hundreds of customers attend sessions focused on Andy. So there's a very significant uh, halo effect because of the excitement around the product and the potential for what it can deliver. Uh, you know, Andy's focused on uh, delivering, you know, suggestions, next best actions to customers, which, you know, really we believe will have a significant impact on and potential to have sales uplift for our customers. So it, there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of potential for what Andy can deliver. And, uh, you know, we're focused on, on proving a lot of that out in our, our early adopter program, which we're kicking off over the next couple of months. That's next for us. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the one other thing I'd say just beyond Andy is just around the concept of embedding AI into the application. So at, at Summit, we had also two big announcements, uh, you know, one in the CRM space that Peter alluded to called Approved Notes, which is where we're using AI to drive, um, you know, uh, compliance, better compliance as, as sales reps, and they, they, they use uh, free text in their comments, uh, will use AI to drive better compliance around that. Compliance and visibility to, to, uh, to all the notes that they have in the system. That's super valuable to customers. That resonated extremely well. 
And then also on the vault side, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we're starting in, in vault promo maps with AI uh, doing auto claim linking. Uh, so what that means is as you make a claim about a specific product, you have to link that back to the, the underlying reference material. Uh, so we're already getting interest and excitement around Vault for AI, and we're already making some strides in terms of embedding that in there, and I think you'll see more of that uh, in the future. That's really cool. I, I might squeeze one more in. So as you think about outside life science, obviously AI as it talks to quality and quality process and quality management seems really interesting too. Is that an area, are we talking two years down the road where that gets embedded in quality one um, and OLS, or is that something near term? Thank you, and, and, and thanks for taking my questions. Yeah, in terms of outside of life sciences, this is Peter. We're still early there, so we have our basic blocking and tackling to do, our new claims product. What's going on outside of life sciences is we're learning a lot. We're developing deep customer relationships, and what we're finding is they, they have a need for a partner in the quality regulatory, clinical, and claims area of, of consumer packaged goods companies. What claim am I making about this new product? How, how fast can I get things like the label approved? When I change ingredients, how do I need to do my regulatory filings in the different countries? If I were to have a complaint on this product, how do I register that? If I need to change a process, how, how can I do that in a compliant way? So that claims, quality, legal, regulatory set of things is very highly re um, related, and there's a need for that integrated in together all on the same platform. So that's what we're focused on. AI will come outside of life sciences, uh, but not in the, in the immediate future. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Congrats. Thank you. Your next question comes from Sterling Audi with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Great, thanks. Hi, guys. It's Jackson Aderon for Sterling tonight. Um, question from our side. When, when we're talking about an enterprise-wide CDMS win, um, can you give us just a little bit more color on how, that, uh, how CDMS is going to be rolled out to Viva? Um, is it going to be all trials and or all new trials and all new phases going forward? What does that actually look like? Yeah, I can take that one. Um, yeah, it has to be phased in because you, in the clinical data management system, there's many people inside of the customer that, that work with it, many different groups from data management people to statistical type people to the people that do the clinical monitoring. And there's also people in the research sites that, that deal with, with these systems too. So it'll be a phased approach because you have to, you have to train people up um, and get them going on it. Uh, at some point, it will be all, all clinical trials, all new ones started on Viva. That may be, oh, you know, between 18 months or so from now or two years from now. That's how, that's how long it will take because, for example, in a therapeutic area where you have multiple related trials and you have some system of reuse going on on the existing system, you're going to be a little hesitant to break off the sort of add-on trial and put it on a new system. You're going to want to keep that with the family of other related trials. So it's a nuanced thing, but certainly in the, you know, two years from now, we, we would expect the bulk of the trials to be on our system. Okay. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And then 
it, can we just clarify, Peter, I think the comment you made about um, the these types of deals for CDMS possibly being eight figures, um, is that on an annual basis, is that a total contract value? What kind of time frame or subscription are we talking about? Yeah, that's on a on an annual basis at the at the terminal at the um, when it's fully ramped up the subscription fees, and that rolls out over several years. But not getting into the specifics right. of of how many years. Uh, but that's the sure. figure I quoted there for eight figures was on an annual basis at the terminal run rate. Gotcha. All right. Thank you. That's all from us. Thank you. Your next question comes from Scott Berg with Needham. Your line is open. Hi, everyone. Congrats on a great quarter. Um, I have one and a follow-up here. I guess a, a kind of an extension to a couple of the outside life sciences questions. Um, you're bringing claims there. Can safety fit outside of life sciences going forward? I would imagine that there's some similarities between those types of customer sets. Uh, yes, it will. Safety will. Now, it will have a slightly different flavor to it um, because of the, the process is different and the regulatory bodies are different, drug, drug safety versus consumer product safety. Uh, and that's something for the safety products outside of life sciences. That, that is not for the immediate future. Uh, we feel that safety inside of life sciences, that's going to keep us really busy, and it's a mission-critical large application. So we're talking probably a couple years out for safety outside of life sciences. Great. And from a follow-up uh, question, Tim, I was just kind of reviewing the model a little bit, and I'm probably nitpicking on a company that has 38% operating margins in the current quarter, but why are you not seeing any leverage around G&A? I kind of look at the spend there, and it's been relatively flat as a percentage of revenue over the last three years. Thanks. Yeah, Scott, I would say we are seeing leverage in G&A, but we're also, as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, seeing increasing litigation fees for a couple of the um, uh, lawsuits that we're working on, and that is hiding the, the leverage we're seeing within G&A. Great. That's all I have. Thanks for taking my questions. Your next question comes from Stan Zoltsky with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hey, gentlemen. Uh, good afternoon. And uh, uh, Matt, uh, good to hear uh, you on the call. I'm guessing this is going to be your last one. Um, maybe just a question for you uh, in that case. Um, commercial cloud, uh, the, the newly planned acceleration to over 11% this year, I don't think many people were really expecting uh, you know, to see an acceleration here versus a year ago. Um, if you were to rank the drivers of the continue, continuing growth in commercial cloud, what would they be? Would it be uh, adoption by new SMB customers, the products like events, um, Engage, um, any other add-ons? Uh, hi, Stan. Yeah, this is Matt. Um, thanks for the call-out. I'm actually going to let Paul answer the question, though. Hey, Stan. How are you? This is, this is Paul. I get to steal this one from Matt. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, really excellent quarter uh, in, in commercial, as you've heard. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't attribute uh, the, the strength in commercial to any one thing in particular. I'd, I'd actually, uh, you know, the strength is really from uh, broadly in CRM and, and across the add-ons in general. So, uh, you know, to be more specific in CRM, uh, we saw uh, significant expansion 
uh, from global customers, existing customers who were completing their global rollouts as they went and expanded into new markets. Uh, we also saw expansions from existing customers as they you know, launch new drugs and they get approval and they build out a sales team. Uh, they've, we, we've, saw, we've seen growth there as well. You know, and, and also on the, the SMB side, you know, we continue to win the, uh, the vast majority of those deals also. Uh, so that's continuing to add to the strength. Uh, and that, you know, that foundation for CRM that we're building is, is giving us really, a, you know, the, the right foundation to, to sell the additional add-ons to. And, I, and, you know, we've seen that pull through in this quarter as well with really great traction uh, from events. And then, you know, some of the other add-ons that are, you know, building momentum like Engage, for example, which is, which is newer. Uh, we had customers speak at our customer summit talking about, you know, how they're changing the selling model, how they're getting access to customers, the doctors that they've never been able to get access to in face-to-face. -face. They're now accessing them in a video call, and they're getting more time uh, and video than they would have face-to-face. -face. So we're starting to see that traction pull through on the add-on side. So I would say that that strength is really uh, CRM and the add-ons pretty consistently. Got it. What I was what I was uh, trying to get at was the the um, guidance for uh, commercial cloud for the full year to accelerate to 11 percent, and and I would I would presume your answer still applies to you know the, the going forward for the rest of the year, right? As far as the, the drivers. Got it. Yeah, those, um, those are the drivers so far. Yeah, that's right. Okay, got it. Great. Um, and and uh, maybe a quick uh, follow up. Um, how is the Nitro product doing? We heard in uh, on the Q4 call there were six early adopters, um, and you already had a couple live. Um, you know, how is that product doing despite like the competitively restrictive practices that we're uh, we're seeing from some, in, out in this space? Yeah. So uh, you know Nitro is doing really well, and the quarter we had a couple of early customers go live. In fact, we had three customers speak at our customer summit. One was on the main stage, and then two you know, share, shared very detailed presentations about the benefits they're getting from, from Nitro, just getting metrics out to the field and to their home office faster, you know, putting that foundation in for, for AI. Uh, so our customers, the early adopters, are doing very well. We've also added some customers uh, to, to Nitro also. Uh, you know, that, that growth that we have there is really measured. We're focused on early adopters and, and customer success in the early market. Uh, we are, um, you know, unfortunately still seeing, um, you know, some of the anti-competitive behavior uh, from IQVIA. So that's, that's creating some headwinds for us with Nitro. Um, you know, we're, we're hopeful that we're able to get that resolved uh, over time. Uh, but, yeah, that has been an impact so far. Perfect. And the last one, uh, maybe for Tim. Um, Tim, the, the strong operating margin performance in the quarter, um, you mentioned it, it's largely uh, you know, just revenue outperformance. Was there any kind of uh, um, hiring linearity in the quarter? Because you know, when, we've, when we've seen operating margin outperformance to this degree, um, it usually uh, coincided with hiring maybe being a little bit more uh, heavily skewed to the back half of the quarter uh, versus a little bit more you know, mar you know, linear throughout. And that's it for me. Thank you. Uh, yes, Dan, thanks for the question. Um, we had a really good quarter from a hiring perspective. Uh, I think you're right. There was probably a little bit more back-end loaded linearity, but overall it was a very strong quarter. The one thing that I did say as it relates to the outperformance of revenue in my prepared remarks, especially on the subscription revenue line, is 
you know, a couple more million of 606 impact than we had seen last year. And Stan, I, I think you probably know this, that is 100% margin. So that drops right down to the bottom line um, with no cost of goods sold and no really operating expenses against it. So I think that also benefited the operating margin performance. But I would say lastly that the operating margin of a little over 38% was fairly consistent with what we saw in the second half of last year in terms of what the operating model is starting to, to firm up and look like as we go forward. Perfect. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from James Rutherford with Stevens. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the questions. Um, a couple for me. First, I want to circle back on the CDMS win, obviously a very nice milestone, but um, question is, you know, perhaps it's too early, but I'm curious how you've seen customer conversations change since that deal was announced and whether it's starting to push things in your favor um, when you kind of go up some of your, against your more, you know, legacy um, competitor in that space. Yeah, I think it was certainly noticed in the in the industry. Clinical data management is a, is a tight community. They're kind of scientifically oriented, fact-oriented uh, really interested in the patient outcomes and and getting uh, you know therapies out to patients, getting therapies approved. So information flows fast. I would say faster in the scientific and clinical community. It flows faster than in the commercial communities. Um, so there's a lot of interest. Uh, we've seen an we've seen an uptick in conversations. I think there's an uptick in customers thinking, well, maybe maybe that could be possible for me. Um, so there's a more interest, I think, in pilots by large customers. Now, whether that will turn into fruition or not, that's something that we'll see over the next 12 months, but certainly the in interest is, is up, and I think a lot of eyes are on this project. How successful will it be? Um, there's a lot of people wanting to know that. Okay, that's helpful. And then a follow-up for Tim, if I may. I think last we heard, um, outside of life sciences, was contributing, I think, over $10 million of revenues is what you had said. I'm, I'm curious if you can frame up where the ARR on that product sort of stands today and how much it might contribute to, to fiscal 20. Thank you. Yeah, James, thanks for the question. Um, we haven't talked specifically this year about outside life sciences. Um, in terms of what the contribution is. What I would say qualitatively is what Peter and Matt said earlier, which is we're seeing really good early progress with um, our early adopter customers. The innovation that we're seeing from the product team you heard in Peter's prepared remarks, so the momentum um, continues to be strong. We haven't uh, specifically quantified what that, the size of that business um, is at this time, though. Okay, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Brent Braceland with KeyBank Capital Markets. Your line is open. Uh, great. Good afternoon, and uh, thanks for taking the question here. I had uh, one question and, and one follow-up. Uh, the question I wanted to drill down again is something you've talked a lot about today, and that's on the demand side, but wanted to kind of help frame what's happening. Obviously, uh, you're raising the full-year guide by 20 million. Subscription growth accelerated to 27%, the highest in, in more than a year. Is this a byproduct of customers going all in on Viva that you talked about at the analyst day? 
is this more of a fi financial mechanics of just vault increasing as as the mix grows to close to 50%? Uh, are you do you have increasing confidence on both the vault and commercial parts of the business as you think about kind of what surprised you most this quarter and given you the optimism here, what what, what would you attribute it to? Uh, this is Peter. I, it's overall good execution. I, good execution in our product, good execution in our field. That, that's number one. You know, can't take those things for granted, right? It's, uh, you know, it's ex we have a saying that we say execution matters most. It's what you do every day, every week, every month, every quarter. Um, a grand idea is just a grand idea. So I, I think it's just consistent, great effort by the by the Viva team and partnership by our customers. That's the bulk of what's going on. Now, the, what that, I guess there's a couple other things. There's a backdrop in Vault. We now have 17 Vault applications. They're, and they're for very specific areas, diverse sets of areas. So that's, that does create a halo effect. Customers are starting to see, wow, I can, my internal operations can be much more efficient with Viva. I can get a lot of applications they're integrated together, and the projects are generally successful, and I like working with the people. So with 17 applications, now there's more there's more bites at the apple with, with any particular customer. So I think those are, those are the two things going on. And then reputation. Reputation grows every year with continued success, as long as you continue to have success. So the longer we have success, the reputation grows. We have more products, and we're continuing. The Viva team's continuing to to hustle every day, go the extra mile for the customer. Uh, so, so that's it. No, no real magic, um, but just great execution. Thank you. That's helpful. And then I guess uh, Tim, for you, just as we think about the monetization. Uh, opportunity around Nitro and Andy. We've ser certainly seen other SaaS companies kind of layer in and weave in, um, you know, AI functionality with, uh, with uh, you know, as part of the platform to differentiate. What is the monetization path for you as you think about, as we think about Nitro and Andy add-ons? Are these going to be, you know, consumption-based models tied to kind of usage as more people use Nitro or Andy, you're going to get revenue tied to it. Walk us through the monetization opportunity around those two new products. Thanks. Yeah, hey, Brent. So this is Paul. Uh, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned two things there. One was Nitro and the other was Andy. So I'll take them separately. Uh, you know, Nitro is, uh, is, the, is the commercial data warehouse. And, uh, you know, that, there's certainly a monetization, um, you know, concept around Nitro, which will be driven by you know, the, basically the size of, uh, of the, the organization, we're using uh, field users as a, as a metric for that. Uh, and that's a significant opportunity. We've talked about being, you know, roughly the size of, of CRM. Uh, that's a foundation for AI. Uh, it's not necessarily the AI capability. It's what AI is driven uh, from. Uh, Andy is, is the, uh, the uh, application engine, and that does a very specific thing. That drives insights and it drives suggestions directly to the field. Uh, so the industry, people in the industry typically talk about that as next best action, and uh, we'll also monetize that as well, and that's on a per-user per month basis for our customers. Uh, and then uh, you also heard, uh, you know, Peter in his prepared remarks talk about some of the AI that we're building into the application, 
And you know, some of those components are just about really driving efficiency, making the application more smart, uh, you know, kind of smarter or more compliant. And some of those are differentiating and just value add that are that that you know just are part of the existing license. So what Peter talked about is approved notes. That's part of the Viva CRM uh, core license. And what we talked about is auto claim linking. That's part of the Vault Promo Match license. Uh, so you see a little bit of a, of a mix of both, where some are kind of very specific products, and then others are embedded into the application. Helpful, Connor, yeah, and uh, thanks a lot. Yeah, I would just add on to that. Broadly speaking, you know, some AI is going to be added into the existing subscriptions. Some are going to be brand new AI applications that are a subscription on their own. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have transaction-oriented AI pricing in the future where it fits. So. Viva, I think the thing to remember is Viva will run to the complexity. We will really find the application that really, really fits for an area. And part of that is finding the pricing model that, that fits for that area. And that's going to depend on the, on the use case, just as it does in a transaction-oriented system. It can depend on the use case and in the AI-oriented system. Thank you. Your next question comes from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, hi, gentlemen. Thanks for taking the question, and congrats on the quarter. So just on the record vault wins, I'm just curious, how much of that is a function of having the 17 vault applications that you referenced, or, or is there anything that we can actually read into in terms of uh, you know, deal close rates or anything with sales velocity that, that's accelerating that as well? Well, so, and this is Matt. It's a good question, Brian. Um, so that was the number of new logos, so companies that bought their very first vault. Uh, and so that is, you know, it's going to be because of success of those vaults that they bought at other customers. So is it because there's so many vaults? I guess, yeah, I mean, that would contribute to it, that there's going to be more opportunities, more shots on goal, per se. Um, but I think that what is driving faster adoption by new companies is that these companies are all in the same industry. The overarching objective of people that work in the life sciences industry is to help patients. And so what we find, and the reason why our reference selling is so intense, is because if they can help another company help patients, they'll do it. So our happy customers are pretty eager to talk to prospects about their use of Vault, and because their use has been so positive across so many of these applications, we're getting a lot of opportunity to introduce Vault to new companies. Got it. Thanks, Matt. And Tim, maybe one for you, you just on Vault. Uh, given the success that you're having across the, the product portfolio, I'm curious, how, how should we be thinking about service capacity investments and any impact on margins going forward? Thanks, guys. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> Brian, on the services side of Vault, we – have a really strong team there, a lot of good domain expertise in that team. And, and as you've seen us grow the Vault business over time, obviously a lot of pattern recognition on best practices that a company like Viva can be a cross-pollinator or a pollinator of best practices across the industry. So that's happening. In terms of the capacity model, we continue to not only build talent through our generation Viva um, which is our college recruiting engine, which has gone fabulously well over the years. Certainly in the last couple of years, we've accelerated that, as well as finding great people in the industry. So 
um, we're not necessarily capacity constrained. And one other thing I would add to that, Brian, is over time, like you saw in commercial cloud, we've built quite a nice ecosystem of partners um, in the U.S. and Europe primarily and starting to some early stages in Asia. So from a capacity perspective, we're in good shape um, given those dynamics. Thanks, Tim. Your next question comes from Rishi Deluria with DA Davidson. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. I uh, wanted to start on, on Viva Claims. Uh, it looks to be a, a brand-new product versus uh, Quality One where you were taking uh, existing solutions in QMS and, and Quality Docs and kind of repackaging them uh, in, in, into something new. Should we expect this idea of, of purpose-built uh, OLS products to be a new normal, and then alongside that, you know, is, is there potential for a little bit of, of a margin hit since you're actually investing uh, dollars in, in product development versus retooling existing solutions? Uh, and then I've got a follow-up. Uh, yeah, the, it is the right way to think about it that claims is a new, a brand new application. It's It's in a a separate vault from the Quality One vault. It's a standalone, and the reason for that is it's a very specific use case, has a different set of users, um, and it rolls out in a different way. So, for example, our first uh, customer from from Four Claims was with a top 20 CPG customer. Now, it turns out this is the first application that they bought from Viva uh, because they had a very specific need in there in Claims, and it needs to roll out on its own way now. That customer, we believe, will buy other products from Vivo over time. So um, now in terms of the margin hit, uh, the other applications, Quality One and the regulatory, they need effort and specific features for outside of life sciences. So I would see no really difference in, in, the, margin, in the margin hit. This will be small things that you won't be able to see in terms of overall cost. Uh, you have to remember that we're getting a lot of leverage from the Vault platform. That is... Uh, if you look at the maturity of the Vault platform now versus even two years ago, it's pretty striking. Like that's the, if you look at the iceberg where most of the effort is under the covers, the the most of the effort in our product area is actually under the covers in our Vault platform. You see the application sales, but the the op, leverage in the operating model and the power of the sales is actually a lot of it coming through the Vault platform where we've made tremendous strides over the you know, really over the last two, three years. Got it. That's, that's, that's helpful. Uh, and then just as a follow-up, I wanted to maybe take a step back. So, you know, in, in 2015, so about four years ago, you, you put out this uh, you know, billion-dollar target or billion-dollar run rate target for, for calendar year 20. Clearly, you've overachieved that, and, and if uh, we go by your guidance, you're going to hit that. Uh, billion-dollar run rate next quarter, so about a year and a half uh, or so ahead of schedule with, with significantly higher margins. If you were to take a look back, where was it or, or what, what, what particular areas was it that you're, you're able to kind of hit that goal significantly ahead of schedule and, and with higher margins? Was it things like vault taking off faster than expected? Was it a, a larger kind of set of solutions that you were able to go after or, or, or anything else that would be helpful? Thanks. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, right? We, if, as we think back to 2015, quite quite some time ago now, and, and we we had the plan. So, your basic question is, you know, what went 
what went better than expected? Um, I would say the number one thing is that nothing, nothing bad happened, right? Um, and when you're making that long range of a plan, you have to assume that there will be some, you know, unexpected bad news along the way, right? No, nothing bad happened. Uh, we, I guess since 2015, we've roughly doubled the size of the company, um, close to or so, and we've retained our energy and, in fact, got some acceleration, I think. We've actually got more efficient as, as we've got larger, um, more efficient in our selling cycle. I don't, I don't think we anticipated that we would get more efficient as we grew larger. So that's happened well. I think those are those are really the things. Outstanding execution, um, good decisions on process, and and no unexpected bad news. And, and so we got there. And I would say, you know, along the way, we probably had some key things that just happened to break our way, and um, you know, that accelerated us. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from Kirk Matern with Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Hi, yes, thanks very much. Thanks for taking the question. Congrats on the quarter. Uh, given that you guys are just coming off summit, I was actually curious, just based on some of Matt's earlier comments, is there a number of vaults that a customer, you know, after a customer buys, that the discussion sort of tips more to a discussion almost more about the platform, meaning? Are we at the point now where companies are betting on your platform as much as they are betting just on some? I mean, they obviously expect really good products to go along with that, but I'm just kind of curious as to the bigger customers you have in talking about the benefits from just having everything on an integrated platform as they are about the specific product features for, for each of the specific. I'd be too early for that, but I'm just kind of curious if you compare and say this year and last year, if, if Things are heading in that direction. Sounds like that that it is, but just curious on your um, on your thoughts, maybe. Yeah, I don't think it's too early to think that way. I mean, when we first invented Vault, I remember the very first PowerPoint slide we put together was Vault as an enterprise platform. So the idea was that companies would make that uh, part of the electricity that runs the company, and we thought it could take four, five, six years before we got there. And we did get there faster than I think we expected at that time. Uh, the way you ask your question is interesting. I think that when you buy the first application, you're probably not thinking, this is my platform across the board. When you buy the second application and see the benefits of having two major systems of record on the same platform, which has never been possible before across clinical, regulatory, quality, medical, and commercial, I think when you get the second one, is when the, the discussion at least starts internally. It was like, hey, you know, we got great benefit from this second one. What if we got them all? And so we don't have a formula here, and I think a lot of companies are different. But I don't think that the first successful project necessarily uh, is the entree to an enterprise-wide deployment. But I do think the second successful one is a good way to think. Um, and so as a specific example, we talked in the prepared remarks about one company just went live with all of their employees, 50,000 employees around the world with quality docs. That was actually their second vault. They also had promo maps. And then their decision to expand it to submissions archive, submissions, and ETMF is basically making it an enterprise platform. 
So I hadn't planned it this way, but that specific example um, does support uh, the answer there. Okay, that's helpful. And, and then maybe just one last one on OLS. As you mentioned, and I said, it's always been you know important. You know, reference selling has always been key to your to your success. You know, when you get into OLS, is there a certain size and scale in terms of the number of customers or the amount of ARR where it's time to sort of turn on the gas even more from just distribution and a sales perspective, meaning you know, making sure that you're covering a bigger portion of the U.S. or, or the amount of targets that you might have out there in those specific you know, industries. You know, are, are we you know, a year away from that or are we there? I'm just kind of curious about if you want to have success with your customers and your customer success translates into more selling opportunities. You know, where are we on, on sort of like now it's time for us to sort of focus on adding distribution capabilities or, or, or just distribution coverage more broadly versus just having to focus on making sure these guys are really successful um, from a customer perspective. Yeah, I would say we're, we're early days. We're really focused more on the customer success. We just introduced this uh, claims application, for example. Um, we have some customers using our regulatory application uh, in outside of life sciences, but it new it, it's new. It needs more features. Um, we have our a top 20 CPG that's rolling out quality one through all their manufacturing sites, but they're less than halfway through that, and they have to get through that, and then we have to optimize that. So we're really focused on the customer success. Now we're incrementally adding headcount in the field. That's for sure, but um, we feel we'll be tremendously successful outside of life sciences if we buckle down, stay true to the Viva way, and use these projects to make our products excellent. And what can get in the way there is if it becomes a sales game and you're just trying to complete as many sales as you can with a product that's not quite ready. Now, one thing to know is we don't feel competitive pressure outside of life sciences. We're doing something quite unique there with this vault platform with applications for quality, regulatory, clinical, and claims. That's So it's not that we're competing with anybody in that. We're sort of also evangelizing or espousing this model outside of life sciences that you can get this, and there is value in that, and that takes time. Great. Thanks, Thanks very much for taking the question. I apologize. We are out of time, and I'll turn it back to Peter for closing remarks. Thanks, everyone, for your time today, and we'd like to thank our employees for their dedication as well as our customers and partners for their trust and partnership. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.